today on Ag News Daily. So adjusting those, uh, especially as we're coming up here at year end, you know, as we're heading into 2023, it's always a good time if you haven't done a look at your compensation to do so. I would say once a year you want to be looking at that. Good morning, listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Tanner Winterhoff joined by Cassidy Zirkle on October 20th. This is the Thursday version of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Welcome back, Cassidy. Thank you, Tanner. I'm so happy to be back on the show with you. You are in a whole nother time zone now. Yeah, a whole nother world, really. I, My husband and I made our move across the country and arrived in Olympia, Washington this week. Olympia, Washington. Well, that's neat. I'm sure we're going to gain a lot of perspective from that portion of the country now, since you did a great job of connecting us to the cattle country and down south where you had grown up. Now I'm sure we're going to get some good perspective from out there. Yes, sir. I'm starting it off strong this morning with some Oregon agriculture news coming from Oregon State. Researchers have said that hemp biomass could serve it as an excellent livestock feed. Researchers found out that the byproduct of CBD extraction process produces high protein, high energy product and no harmful impacts to lambs in the study. The one thing that they are worried about is that it has a small amount of THC in it that's less than 0.3%. So they're working with the FDA to get a threshold identified for THC in cattle and livestock feed. Yeah, that uh, that could be interesting to see if there's another use. Obviously, I know those who grow hemp and those who have looked into it, their biggest battle is finding an outlet for the crop. It can be grown. Just where does it get delivered? Well, I'll tell you what, the strong dollar is not always a bad thing. Obviously, ag producers are taking advantage of that when they're looking at importing products, such as international fertilizer or equipment. Granted, those are at no bargain prices. But to give you some perspective, Cassidy, the dollar index is up over 20 points in the last 12 months. So for instance, if you wanted to spend $7 to buy a bushel of corn from an American farmer. Now it's going to take more of the yen, the peso, the renewable, uh, and the won. For example, South Korea, in dollar terms this last week, bought the most soybeans. So since October of 2021, it would have taken 1175 won to purchase a dollar now in October of 2022, that number is 1,427. So 1,175 up to 1,427 to get that same dollar. That's creating a lot of pressure on U.S. grain and agriculture exports. Now, obviously, like mentioned, South Korea is the largest uh, buyer of grain last week. It is now at its all-time high of imports. So good to see another country coming up to the table, but it will be interesting to see what this does for exports in the market going forward. 
That will be interesting to watch, Tanner. And another thing that's going to be interesting to watch, speaking of other countries' economics and agriculture, is Mexico's decree to ban genetically modified corn by 2024. The article I'm reading from Texas Farm Bureau says that this could have some really negative impacts on not only Mexico's economy, but also the U.S. economy. It says that this could raise food insecurity in Mexico, raise the cost of non-GMO corn and the cost of GMO corn. And Mexico would pay an additional $571 million for imported corn after this ban. Wow, that is certainly another inflated cost all across the board. Seems like we're facing quite a few challenges. But listeners, if you are facing the challenge of managing your soil's fertility, remember that for more than three decades, U.S. farmers have increased their yield by the help of SB1 Classic as fertilizer costs are soaring and supply chain challenges looming. DPH Biologicals is expanding access to their trusted biofertilizer, their TerraTrove SB1 Classic. The complete biofertilizer could help you replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to begin reclaiming your soil's fertility. Cassidy, there is an article out here stating that potentially carbon could be the new cash cow for dairies. Elonco's CEO was talking about the future of dairy farming at a conference and says they have a potential to make more money off of carbon capture than they will off of milk in the future. Dairies are the first of the industry. Most of them are beginning to introduce uh, aerobic digesters that are taking and creating electricity off of the manure sources. Uh, there's a dairy out in Wisconsin that's been producing electricity since 2004 for more than 800 homes a day, utilizing that manure as a fuel source. However, the dry solids and separate bedding and other crops that go into the feed could be a strong viability option in the future for carbon capture. So as dairy continues to work towards being a part of the climate solution, Nelanco's CEO is stating that as they pay focus to their carbon footprint and their ability to sequester, dairy farmers could, Cassidy, potentially make more off of carbon capture than they will a gallon of milk. Yeah, that is an interesting point. And I do remember an episode on the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hamrick talking to a dairy out in Kansas, I believe, about their carbon capturing program and how it's making them a lot of money. So I think our listeners may be able to go find that and check it out to learn a little bit more about the dairy industry and their carbon capturing. Absolutely. Got a little bit of news also, Casty, coming out of Russia. Israel has rejected Ukraine's request for military aid after Russia has threatened to cause issues at their home front. Israel has refused the defense air request. Russia has enabled potential Iranian drone attacks in their near area. So Israel will not deliver weapon systems to Ukraine due to a variety of operational concerns. They will continue to support Ukraine with limitations such as intelligence cooperation. Israel is refusing to send these arms as Russia's military presence in nearby Syria is causing Israel to be nervous. Russia and Iranian forces have partnered to prop up the Syrian dictator, yet they have not launched any offensives on Israel, but Israel is playing things safe. So a quick little hit there, Cassidy about news coming from the Russia-Ukrainian front. 
Yes, sir. Always good to keep our thumb on Russia-Ukraine news. And bringing it back stateside, Puerto Rico is still suffering and recovering from Hurricane Fiona. It destroyed over $150 million worth of crops. And it has taken a major hit to the Puerto Rican economy because their agriculture is so small already. Yeah, that's not good news. Uh, I know that there's discussions about what Florida ag economics is going to look like, as well as you know the the repercussions of the storm surge in that area. But you can't forget about our island friends as well. Well, the last piece I have here is related to oil and ethanol. But before we get into that, remember that U.S. farmers have increased their yield by the help of SB1 Classic, a fertilizer that can help you protect yourself from soaring costs and supply chain challenges. DPH Biologicals is expanding access to their Teratrove SB1 Classic program, the complete biofertilizer that can help you replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. We have an article here that J.P. Morgan's Head of Global Energy states that oil could potentially skyrocket to $150 a barrel next year. They're stating that these price surges may come into place because of underinvestment and future tight supplies. This could stretch out into the next decade. The bank estimates that oil could stick around $80 a barrel for the end of this year and potentially through the recession. But as supplies grow tight, prices could soar very easily to $150 a barrel and remain that high as supply and production is not going to catch up to demand. Much of the supply tightness could be fueled by underinvestment in the industry, which it looks like is 40% less than the typical areas, Cassidy. However, as we look now, legislatures are urging the EPA to make the highest ethanol mandate ever. So after 2022, the EPA will have free hand in writing the renewable fuel standard for 2023 and beyond. Congress has set the ceiling for ethanol right now at 15 billion gallons. The targets from lobbyists and agriculture and legislatures are calling for them to increase that requirement to above 15 billion gallons, obviously to continue to watch the impact that fuels have on air quality, climate change, wildlife, habitat, food, and fuel prices, as well as the availability of advanced fuels. The EPA is due to announce its RFS for 2023 by November 16th, so we'll continue to keep a close eye on this. But obviously, in order to guard against sidelining decades of investment and including for workforce jobs, they need to support these biofuels. So they are requesting that the EPA set the target above 15 billion gallons to set a precedence there. But for this week, cast the ethanol outputs rose to a two-month high. Last week, we had a one-month high. Now we've jumped to a two-month high. So ethanol now has climbed uh, production as of October 14th, averaged 1 million point one six barrels. Per day, that again was up from the 932, 932,000 reported last week. So a nice jump as far as that goes. The uh, stocks continued to fall, but just slightly this time. So it looks like they're ramping up production to keep those above. The stocks fell to 21.844 million barrels down from 21.863. So a very small drop which is probably why production increased and to help out with that, Cassidy. But that's what I've got for news today. Do you have anything left? 
Just a quick hit on a small issue that's affecting a lot of people at home in Texas is Dallas grass poisoning or Dallas grass staggers. As the Dallas grass plants are uh, maturing here in the fall and putting on their seed heads, a lot of them are getting ergot fungus, which some cattle develop a taste for, and then they eat it and get poisoning. And it's been a huge issue for a lot of ranchers around my hometown and my home state. And I wanted to give them some encouragement because it does look like a freeze is going to hit in East Texas this week, which should help kill off that fungus and help them manage that issue. There you go. Let's jump into markets. Looks like in the overnight, wheat sales were pretty bad. Corn sales were flat and bean sales were the big jump. So looking like we've got some good sales. Everybody's asking for some rain. If we can get it to potentially put more water back into the river, then we can get these exports headed down to port. But as we look today, uh, December corn is up three and a quarter to 681.40. This November soybeans are up 16 and a quarter to 1388.60. Wheat is flat for the morning, still with the December contract at 841 and 60 cents. As we get into the livestock, live cattle pretty much unchanged at 149.45 for October, 151.42 for December. Only a penny change uh, in those contracts. Feeder cattle mixed. October is up 27 cents to 175.50. November is down 50 cents to 177.55. Lean hogs in the red, both December and February contracts coming in at 86.37.50 and 88.32.50. So a good recap there on the markets and news. Cassidy, we appreciate you joining us, but who are we jumping into our conversation with today? Excited to share our conversation, Tanner, with Lori Kohler of Ag Hires to talk a little bit about labor issues and hiring strategies. Here we go, listeners, a timely conversation to introduce you right now with Lori Kohler, the owner of Ag Hires. And we're going to talk some hiring and employment trends as we get into this fall. Welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast, Lori. Hi, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. The pleasure is ours. First of all, I know our listeners right now are thinking, gosh, it is so hard to find good help. And then let alone once we found it, how do we keep it? So first of all, what are you seeing for trends? How's how's the labor supply right now? Sure. It's it's tighter than we've ever seen. I actually gave a speech a couple of years ago, you know, the shortage of the labor market. And I look back now and had no idea, right. How, how short it would become. So it's, it's tight in all areas of ag. Uh, I get that question. Like what, what areas of, is, you know, has the least amount of shortage. It's pretty much all over and in, in all sectors of ag. So what we're, we're seeing is a lot of uh, farms and agribusinesses really need to be creative um, on kind of where they pull from and who they're hiring and relatable skills that they're hiring for uh, more so than in the past. So what is some good advice for our listeners on how they can recruit or go find some help? Sure, sure. Of course, obviously on ag hires is a, is a good source, but in all reality here, having your value proposition of, of you know, kind of what's in it for the candidate these days um, is definitely a candidate driven market. Um, and so it is best the farm can do to showcase what it's like working there, what the culture's like, where would they fit into the organization? What does that feel like? Yes, compensation comes into play to this day, uh, obviously, but um, at the end of the day, our, our 
kids are still saying on the phone that they're still looking for that cultural fit. And that is where farms and agribusinesses sure have an advantage because there's nothing more rewarding than, you know, being part of the the supply chain that kind of creates the food that feeds everyone. So we have an advantage there. Uh, Farms and agribusinesses really need to um, capitalize on that. And then also when you are searching and interviewing, you know, being a little bit more open on backgrounds, you know, historically farms or agribusinesses would be very specific on the exact background they want. With this shortage, we don't have that luxury anymore. So it's it's more or less identifying relatable skills and making sure that we're marketing and advertising and talking about who could be a fit uh, instead. So if, if they don't have farming, what would be some other relatable backgrounds such as construction or military that would be very interested um, in having and making sure advertising and messaging is really um, speaking to those candidates saying, we will hire you too. Um, come join ag. So again, being a little bit more open on relatable backgrounds and then targeting those with, with your advertising reach outs is a good way to increase that candidate pool. That's interesting that you mentioned how we as the employers market ourselves because it wasn't too long ago to where you'd have a pool of candidates and you'd get to choose from those candidates. Now it almost seems like the candidate has a pool of employers and they are choosing who their next employer is going to be. Very much so. And these candidates are being reached out to quite a bit. So they've got opportunities kind of left and right in front of them and they're definitely shopping. Um, And, you know, with social media and everything else that's out there, you know, candidates are being kind of uh, taught a little bit, you know, withhold kind of what you're looking for for pay and, you know, hold out for a remote role and things like that. So there's a little bit of tug, you know, out there uh, right now in the market for um, on the candidate side to make sure what they got. We also, um, as a kind of sidebar, is that so many people switched jobs this past year with COVID. We had a lot of movement, a lot of people reevaluating what they're doing with their lives, but a lot of people switch jobs and now some of them regret it. Some don't. Um, but there's some hesitation about, you know, would they even move a job again? So couple that with what's going on with the economy. We're seeing a little bit, uh, slower response right now with candidates on a willingness to switch jobs, which does not help during our already shortage of pool of people. Yeah. And I, I think that could be a scary endeavor for a lot of people and a lot of our listeners is, they one think about the professions that they've been in all their life. But I know from some conversations I've had with listeners too, that there's, there's concern over how do we determine fair pay? When you think of what, what restaurants or fast food chains are able to offer starting wage levels at compared to farm and agribusiness labors, what, what are you seeing on the compensation front? Mm-hmm. We're definitely seeing increase in pay especially on your tech and operator roles. They're looking for that. They're seeing, you know, our local Wendy's was, was paying um, 14 to start, I think up to 17. So, you know, and we're just in Michigan here. So we're seeing some pressure from that. And especially the the technicians or mechanics, a, a strong shortage. So they've seen a huge increase in compensation. I do recommend, you know, knowing your current local market for what that it's looking like. It, it really is depends all over the U.S. and kind of what your 
current market and competition looks like for that um, skilled labor, for how much that has moved up. Uh, and then I also, on the flip side, tell my employers, yes, we need to pay up to market. So you do want to understand your market, but you also don't want to go way over market and, and act desperate. And then now your whole compensation structure for your whole team is kind of out of whack because you just brought in one individual significantly higher than your other team members, which a lot of our employers struggle with. So I am for, you know, paying the market and, you know, possibly stretching a little bit given the current times, but also you've got some candidates throwing out some really crazy high numbers. And you also want to be realistic for what is that ROI for you and hiring that candidate and what makes sense. So kind of know what you're going to stretch to, um, but then also be comfortable when you, you, we do want to walk away if a certain candidate is just way out of range. So there's a little bit of give and take here right now on a balance of going a little bit higher, but also being realistic um, and making sure that that feels like, a, a, you know, kind of a good comp range for both sides for the long haul. Yeah, that kind of leads me into my next question is maybe our listener already has good talent or they're fully staffed. What what should we be doing to incentivize them to stay or or make sure that they are valued? Is there a cost of living increase or what, what are some tricks you've been seeing to keep the good help around? Exactly. So there's a couple of things. One would be your culture and two is is you know kind of a comp increase, whether it be across the board. I don't typically recommend like a straight cost of living. Everyone gets the same amount, but they're definitely, everyone probably needs to be moved up cost of living wise, some more than others, depending on who you value on your team. You know, your, your high performers, we really want to make sure that those high performers are paid at market and make some adjustments. And then other employees, um, let's be honest, we have different employees at different levels and, and, you want to make some adjustments for cost living for there, but you really want to make sure you don't lose your high performers, the ones that are really driving your business forward. So adjusting those, uh, especially as we're coming up here at year end, you know, as we're heading into 2023, it's always a good time if you haven't done a look at your compensation to do so. I would say once a year, you want to be looking at that. Um, do, do I think everyone needs to move up to the 8% cost of living? I, I don't know if I see everyone going across the board for that, but for sure, it's time to look at making those increases and, and doing that appropriately. And then the other side is just really knowing your team and what, what makes them tick and what makes them you know, want to be there. There's so many ways to ensure, you know, retentions there beyond the, the dollar and the compensation. Employees still want to be recognized. They still want to be part of the win together and they want to feel like they contributed to the win together of the business. So thinking about creative ways on building that team camaraderie, building that recognition, you know, building that kind of vision and have everyone working together for that. That culture piece is still a very impactful piece. I do understand we're up against a lot of compensation pressure, but I also don't want companies to kind of forget about that really important piece that really, you know, that is a determining factor of whether kind of someone stays or goes. Um, if you're paying close to market, uh, you don't have to be over market, but on market or close to on market compensation, the culture is what will actually uh, have your team stay for the long haul. Yeah, I could see that being very true. And, and it's probably important if you do find yourself struggling to work with a partner like ag hires, what, what types of services do you offer there that would benefit the listeners? 
Mm-hmm. If we offer everything from advertising your job to full service recruiting, we're actually going out there and reaching out to passive candidates and interviewing and, and helping you uh, conduct their hire all the way from beginning to end to also a sourcing service in between, uh, especially for your operators and techs. We go out to the market and we do some passive um, headhunting along with our advertising on ag hires. Um, and we do that as a, as a flat fee. Um, and uh, we don't do the interviews for that sourcing service. So we kind of have something for everyone, depending if you need a lot of help or a little bit of help or something in between to build up your candidate pool in this tight market. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners would find value in that. They know that maybe their candidate pool right now is uh, a church member or a community member or word of mouth to just generate a little extra power during their search. So if they were curious, Lori, how did they find you and get in contact with you if they do have interest in a little assistance? Sure. Yep. You can go on our website, um, which is aghires.com. Um, and you can also uh, email me directly at Lori, L-O-R-I, at aghires.com. Awesome. Well, this has been quick. I know these are always short segments, but it's usually just enough to tease our listeners. So we appreciate you jumping on and sharing your wisdom with us today. Great. No problem. Anytime. Great conversation we got to have a few weeks ago, Tanner. Excited to share that with our listeners and excited to be back on the show. Yes, this has been a lot of fun getting caught back up with you. Hopefully we can do it again soon. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 